Hello all. As part of our series, Leadership in the Digital Age, we're joined today by Kasper Hertzberg, Schneider Electric's President for Middle East and Africa. Kasper manages Schneider Electric's operations across more than 70 countries with more than 10,000 employees throughout the Middle East, Africa and Central Asia. Schneider Electric's focus is delivering integrated efficiency solutions, combining energy, automation and software in power management and in industrial automation systems. Prior to joining Schneider, Casper was Vice President of Cisco's Consulting Services for Asia Pacific, having previously held executive positions within Cisco and Accenture. With more than 20 years experience in the industry, Casper is recognized as a thought leader for smart cities, digital transformation, and the Internet of Things. He's a published author of the book Smart Cities, Digital Nations, and recognized by Forbes among the top 100 executives in the Arab world. Casper is on the board of trustees of the New Cities Foundation and served in as an advisor on the city of Chongqing's International Economic Advisory Council in the People's Republic of China. In addition to his career in technology, Casper has also served as an officer in the German army and holds a master's degree in international politics from the University of London, a bachelor's degree in Arabic and modern Middle Eastern studies from St. Anne's College, University of Oxford. Having grown up in Egypt, in addition to being a fluent Arabic speaker, is also fluent in German, French and English. Welcome, Casper. Welcome, uh, Matt, and thank you for having me. So, getting back to the start of your career, you've just left university, setting out in the world. What were your goals? Where did you want it all to go? I had, at the very beginning, uh, actually quite limited goals. I, I wanted to uh, join the army, actually return to the army after university. And spending one summer in the army again as a reserve officer uh, made me rethink that as I realized that the more senior you were to become in the military, you would, in the end, be serving in a massive bureaucracy, uh, which at the time wasn't that appealing. So I, I looked at business. I wasn't as clear-cut or clear-focused clear as, as, as one would expect. I initially looked at banks until I realized that my uh, mathematical skills were, you know, needed brushing up. And uh, then I looked at consultancies and Anderson Consulting at the time was the first where I struck a chord with uh, the people interviewing me. And um, I then kind of almost by accident fell into the world of technology. So that was not really my goal from the very beginning. It was more uh, chance really that led me to, uh, to Anderson, which of course w was to become Accenture and become a, uh, a global uh, consulting powerhouse. Uh, so that's how it started. Uh, throughout your career, there's been a lot of new technology trends. Uh, you know, we've seen the mobile phone go from a brick to a smartphone. We've seen dial-up internet go to broadband, go to internet everywhere. And even smartphones go to now digital applications. Can you look back and perhaps give the listeners some views on the impact these technologies had at the time 
And as the technologies have changed, how that impact has changed? Uh, absolutely. So when, when I started with Anderson Consulting, it was really the, the time of the large process re-engineering projects and the rollouts of enterprise resource planning uh, software, such as SAP or JD Edwards and others at the time. And the, the predominant architecture was cli- client uh, and server, uh, which in a way is not that different from uh, the cloud architecture that we have today. At the end of the day, clearly the technology industry morphed into a, a, a very powerful force in business for business, a driver of uh, uh, companies adopting adopting business change, right? Yet, at the very basic, good companies, good leaders have always looked at what do they want to achieve and what tools do they need to achieve that? And the goals, I mean, have always been the same. They have been to, of course, uh, make make money, so turn turn a a decent profit, and do that with as little resources as as you need to apply. So technology, in that in that sense, the different the, the different uh, technology transitions uh, that we've had over the the past two decades have always been seen or sold as a way of of making people reach their goals faster. Business leaders uh, reach their goal faster. And now the issue, of course, uh, has been that the technology industry itself then very quickly became a very self-serving industry, meaning that they, they wanted to sell more technology to more companies and more people. And with a very, very strong marketing spin, that means that we've talked about endless te- technology inflection points, some real, some not real, over the past two, two decades. Clearly, the, 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 the ones that really have changed visibly people's interaction with each other, companies' inter- interaction with each other, is the mobility, is the mobility revolution, which, which happened when you could put the processing power or uh, an enormous amount of processing power into someone's palm, into someone's hand, and create a way of of empowering individual contributors to to a level that you know was really uh, impossible or to to even imagine uh, 15, 20 years ago. So for me, that's probably the biggest change in technology. Ultimately, cloud is nothing but a logical a logical result of of the mobility revolution because ultimately as you are mobile as a person as a as a businessman as a contributor uh, as an individual contributor you need to have access to the data that is stored somewhere else so what i think we're going to see over the next 15 20 years is probably a continued expansion of the infrastructure that allows uh, people to continue interacting with each other, interacting with their businesses this way. Mm. You, you talk there, I think, quite clearly that it's an enabler for leadership. Now, people talk a lot about leadership traits and management books keep developing new formulas. 
you've been in the military, uh, you've been a consultant, and now obviously you've worked in industry for quite some time in senior positions. What do you feel makes an effective leader? And has your view on leadership changed over your career? It definitely has changed. Um, At the beginning, when you start, you believe that one believes that leadership is about forcing people to follow you, uh, exerting strength, exerting power. As as you go through life, you realize that uh, it is really about convincing people to follow you, convincing people to put their fate, the fate of their business, the fate of their family, uh, of, of providing for their family into your hands. And what grows in one is the sense of responsibility, the, rent, the, the sense of responsibility for your own family as you have one, but then also for the extended family of your, of your employees, uh, of your customers, of your partners, and the ecosystem that you ultimately lead and are responsible for. So I think that takes some time to, to understand. Which is also why, I mean, many people say that empires tend to be won by young men, but uh, successfully managed and grown and uh, uh, grown to prosper by uh, men and women uh, in their uh, middle age onwards, which is somewhat at odds with the culture of youth that, for example, the, 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 the U.S. digital uh, industry likes to, likes to portray. Now, hmm. you asked me about what are, what are my values. Uh, I think uh, authenticity and, and honesty as a leader is probably the most important traits if you combine them with strength, strength of your convictions. In other words, you have to, of course, first of all, have a plan and you have to, uh, whether you build that plan out of experience or, or out of listening to others, but then you have to be very honest and very, very clear about what it is you want to achieve and why, and why that is good and bad for uh, the people that, that you lead. And I think if you are not able to articulate that clear, clearly uh, to yourself and to others, then, uh, you, know, then uh, you, you, you are not a good leader. And then, of course, you have to have the strength to carry it through, uh, the strength that your convictions are right, while keeping in mind that only fools persist in errors, and uh, the strength of your the, 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 the physical strength and the mental strength to resist the pressures uh, that will try to, uh, to, uh, to force you to, to change course. Hmm. But- Leadership can obviously be sometimes a little bit of a, a lonely business as well. I mean, you've been managing and leading people for quite some time now. Um, Obviously, decisions have to be made, uh, sometimes really hard decisions. Can you give us a couple of examples of really hard decisions that you've made and how you've managed their outcomes? Well, I think taking responsibility for something that hasn't worked is probably one of the hardest things to do. Uh, doing so publicly, uh, resisting the temptation to sweep it under the carpet and articulating what you as the leader have learned from the failure, articulating that publicly, 
or at least to those that uh, that that need to uh, make decisions, is is very very hard. And uh, in two thousand and nine, I believe, I was leading a a large uh, business development initiative in uh, in Saudi Arabia, going after the. The, the, what was called at the time the new economic cities, a set of mega projects uh, that the then government was was building or intending to build, and because of a number of self-inflicted uh, mistakes, but also some other outside forces, I was not successful. The team I led was not successful, and I had to make a choice whether I would clearly say that and uh, withdraw from this opportunity and clearly say that to a leadership of the company at the time, uh, it was Cisco Systems, that was themselves very heavily invested in making it work or sweeping it under the carpet, potentially spending more money, more time in the full knowledge that it wasn't going to work out. So I choose the the former. Uh, I was very clear and I probably, as a result, took a lot of uh, egg in my face uh, but also save the company a lot of future issues. Now, that was not an easy thing to do in a in a culture that was not necessarily very forgiving to people who make who make mistakes. Um, I did get another chance to to be successful, and I was then successful in in a similar project in uh, Korea. So it it all worked out well. But net net, that was a in retrospect, quite a brave decision to to make. Mm. Now, this is one where I made a decision myself about ultimately me. I, I think that's probably where one needs to start. Clearly, later, you make a lot of decisions on other people. And uh, frankly, one of the hardest things to do is performance management. And it does not become easier the more experienced you become. Performance management, fair performance management, and separating the the positive or negative personal feelings towards an employee, a group of employees, from an objective analysis of their results is always difficult. And I think uh, being aware of that year after year, month after month, and acting accordingly and acting with fairness is is frankly a big responsibility that uh, uh, that a leader has. Hmm. And, and obviously, you know, as you said, it's it's a lot to do with strength of character and believing in yourself. And you know, having talked a little bit about leadership and also a little bit about your thoughts on how technology has changed, let's talk a little bit now about the intersection of the two. I mean, do you see as a leader of more than ten thousand people? Uh, across 70 plus countries, that it's a critical element, technology is a critical element for today's leaders, or is it just a tool, or perhaps somewhere in between? It is a critical tool. Technology is a critical tool, but it is a tool. It Mm -hmm. ultimately serves you, it serves the people, it serves the business, it serves the community to bring you together, like telepresence, like video conferencing, to, to connect you, to connect you where where you need to be connected to. Now, there are 
a number of risks, I believe, that come from the overuse of technology and the over-reliance on technology. And I do believe that increasingly technology lends itself to micromanaging and also for employees delegating responsibility up. And that's not what you want. You want to have empowered leaders on the ground, empowered leaders making decisions while understanding the, the bigger context and the strategy of where you want to go to. The more you micromanage them, the more you interfere, and you can today with technology. I mean, be with uh, your, 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 your employees almost 24-7. I think that that just leads to concentrating decision-making, concentrating authority in your hands, and ultimately, especially the larger and more diversified your business is, not just across many countries, like in my case, but also across many different business models, the more likely you will make mistakes. So I'm a big believer in, yes, in connecting, in being there when you need to be there. I'm a big believer in, in those interactions that you have, to have them on video conferencing, to have them in high definition, to have them in, in, with immersive technology, to really get a good feeling for the conversation. So I prioritize quality over, over the quantity of, uh, of interactions. But I'm also a big believer, and this is actually the philosophy of Schneider Electric, to be a global company, but at the same time to have very strong local leaders, local operations, and local champions. And you are there to support them using technology, you are not there to make every decision for them. And that uh, bringing people along, local recruitment, local management, um, it brings us a little bit onto the talent of tomorrow. Because today's entrance into the job market, well, they're all digital natives. You know, they speak languages in emojis and short sentences uh, that some of them, some of us who've been around for a while might not even understand. When you're looking at new managerial uh, candidates, whether they're fresh out of school or they're promoted into leadership a few years down the road, what exactly do you look for? I look for common sense, first and foremost. I, I mean, you're very right that many younger entrants into this industry, into the workforce in general, are extremely digitally aware. And I think that's a you know, that, that is a good thing and that is uh, also increasingly a given. At the same time, what you really look for, what I at least really look for, is, as I said, common sense, the ability to solve problems, solve problems by thinking outside of the box, solve problems while being able to operate within processes. So this is not... Uh, this does not exclude what I just said before about thinking out of the box and the ability to work with other people and in teams, in teams in person and in teams digitally. One remark I have to make on, uh, on the use of technology is that it works well to 
manage the status quo, but that when it comes to ideation, uh, it is good to have people physically together, to have them physically together across different generations, and to uh, what we do, what we in the company call uh, multi-generational boards, where people at the end of their working life, people in the middle of their working life, and people at the beginning of their working life exchange ideas, try to solve intra-company issues or business issues. And I think it is the mix of experience and um, useful energy and questioning that is really successful. Mm. That multi-generational boards idea, I, I know... I know personally throughout your career, you've been a big champion of diversity. How do you feel that diversity has really paid off in helping you as a leader make better decisions and also uh, have just better personal outcomes as well? Well, I, I grew up in Egypt and I went to a school where the vast majority, I think it was more than 90% of the, of the students were uh, Egyptian. So I was the, I was the diversity at the time, if you like. Um, and what that has taught me throughout my, uh, my career, that uh, different viewpoints, different cultural backgrounds, different ways of looking at, at problems, at, uh, even at life, yeah, uh, ultimately together can become very, very powerful in coming up with new things, in, in solving problems, even in resisting uh, stress, provided that they are well-led. So, I mean, for me, diversity is, of course, gender diversity, but it is, it is more. It is diversity of, of backgrounds, of socioeconomic uh, background. And uh, the more you mix up people that way, provided that they operate in an environment and provided you as a leader can create an environment for them in which everyone can express themselves without upsetting you know, his, uh, his or her uh, colleagues, then that is a very, very powerful tool, right? Mm-hmm. And here, actually, if I look at, uh, I'm not an expert, but when I look at the uh, tech industry in California, I always, always had the impression that part of their global diversity is, is one of the reasons for, for the many, many new ideas that, uh, that, that, that have come out of, this, uh, out of this industry. Very interesting. Now, a quick thought, one word answer, leaders, made or born? Made. Leaders <laughs> are made. <laughs> and, and I suppose a final question, it's difficult Obviously, we're doing this remotely. We're not doing this face-to-face. Yes. Difficult not to bring up COVID-19. You know, the workplace of tomorrow. How do you think what we're seeing today is going to influence your leadership style, uh, how you would use that to mentor other leaders, and just business in general? I think that one of the lasting impacts of, of, uh, of this pandemic uh, on all of us all of us is is rediscovering the concept of mortality. I think that especially in the West, we have lived a 
long time, 50 years more or more, without major wars, without, without mass mortality. And I think that that has, has somewhat relegated mortality to, to the margins of, of, uh, of people's consciousness. I mean, when you look at uh, advertisement, people are always young. When you, uh, most movies are with uh, actors who are young. I mean, it's the celebration of, the continuous celebration of youth as, uh, as the centerpiece of, of much of the, the business and, and general thinking in the West. And I think what this pandemic has done is, I, I think it has really shattered that. That for me is a lasting impact of it i think that when it comes to more like the, the the restrictions that we currently are living i think you know looking at the past experience of pandemics of the the last 3000 years or so when they are recorded they tend to last 2 years on average and afterwards people more or less return to doing things very similar to how it was before pandemics tend to accelerate already existing trends. So I think that some of the technology trends or adoption of technology trends, such as digitization, such as video conferencing, uh, are, are, are going to accelerate in force. Clearly, supply chains are going to change across the, the world, are going to come closer to, to where, the, uh, where the end product is going to be uh, consumed, both for political reasons and for probably for, for, for managerial reasons as well. But if you're asking me what is the one thing that remains, it's a new respect for mortality and as a result, probably a stronger, a stronger feeling of, of, of being close to one's fellow humans, to one's fellow employees and to one's own family. I think that's for me the lasting impact. Thank you. I mean, obviously, I'd like to thank you for your views, your time, and then also wish you, you know, great luck coming out of all of these issues that we're having at the moment. So, again, thank you very much, Casper, for your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure.